Thank you, everybody, so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank all of you who are joining us for the very first time. And for those of you who are watching online, we, we so appreciate you being out there. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we've been in a series here called Who's My Neighbor? And uh, it's really kind of an important series. And we learned early on that our neighbor is anyone who is in close physical proximity to who we are, which means your neighbor isn't just the person you live next door to, but your neighbor is a person sitting right next to you. And so today I wanted to speak to you about a group of our neighbors who are in deep trouble in the worst way. And I mean in the worst way. And those would be our children and our youth. You know, what they're facing today is not pretty. In fact, it is downright diabolical. And so in many ways, today's message is very sobering. And, um, but I feel like as your pastor, I, it's my responsibility to, to let you know what's going on and to speak to you about the truth. And sometimes that's necessary to do, and uh, it's not easy, but um, that's what I'm going to do today. And I, I want to give, give parents um, who are here with young children, especially in the room who might be watching, just a heads up that some of the information I'm going to be sharing with you today um, is, is disturbing and um, is not suitable for young tender ears. So, you know, thankfully we have Kids Crew this morning, so you can take them to Kids Crew, and uh, you can do that right when I pray. So I just wanted to give you a heads up, and again, um, and I pray more than anything else that God will just get a hold of our hearts as a church. We so need to be aware of what is going on in the world today with regards to our our littlest ones. Okay, so let's, let me begin our time with a word of prayer, and I want to just ask you to grab a Bible when you get your Bible, turn to Judges chapter 2. That's where we're going to be at this morning, Judges chapter 2. Uh, you can also get a pad of paper so you can take notes because there's always so much to cover and you can also follow us um, on our app, okay? Now let's pray and we'll get, we'll get started. Father, thank you so much. Man, I, I just love the worship this morning. So good to be reminded that there is no one like you and you are worthy. You are worthy. Worthy is the Lamb to be glorified, to be honored, to be praised. And I thank you, Lord, for your love for us. You are our firm foundation. You are everything to us. And, and, and yet, Lord, today we see an attack on our kids that seeks to undermine their faith and to draw them away from you. And Father, today I pray that you would give, give us ears to hear and hearts to listen that we would come away from this place, you know, just all the more determined to fight for our kids, to do all that we can to lead them to you and to help them to walk with you because something very sinister is going on in the world today. So open up our hearts, open up our minds. I pray that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, and I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So let me begin by giving you some context, all right? This is really important some context for where I want to go today. And, uh, and this is, again, this is really important, so I want to encourage you to stick with me on this one. Um, as you may recall, the people uh, of Israel, the Jews, were in bondage to the Egyptians for 400 years. They actually first went to Egypt because of the drought that they were suffering. And Joseph, you might remember, was, ended up as, as kind of the co-regent of, of um, an assistant to Pharaoh, and he was able to disperse food to the Jews. And so they all found out about it. They ended up going to Egypt, and then they stayed. For 400 years, they stayed 
And now they were, they'd become slaves of the Egyptians. Well, one day Moses, um, God spoke to Moses and asked him to go to, to Egypt to lead his people out of bondage. And so Moses went. And after, a long, to make a long story short, he was able to convince Pharaoh to let them go. And they let them go. And then they had to change their heart. And then the Egyptians went after them. And so the, here, here were the uh, Israelites in, fleeing for their lives with the Egyptians in hot pursuit. And they ran right into the, dead, into the Red Sea. And now they were trapped. Their backs were up against the wall. But God parted that Red Sea for them, and they made their way to the other side, and then that Red Sea closed in on the Egyptians, destroying them all. But finally, the uh, Jews were free. They were on the other side in the Sinai Desert, and there they stayed for 40 years as they wandered in search for the promised land that God told Abraham that he would give to them hundreds of years earlier. Well, while they were roaming around in the desert, God showed up to them in a big way, and uh, he provided for every one of their needs. He gave them water to drink, and he gave them food to eat. And uh, this is one of the coolest verses in the Bible. And I'm just going to put it up here for you. But Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 21 says, 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. And their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. So imagine, that's how God showed up for them. Imagine wearing the same pair of jeans, wearing the same pair of Nikes, wearing the same pair of Fruit of the Looms for 40 years, and it didn't wear out. No holes, no wear and tear whatsoever. It was like it was brand new. That's what happened. That's the extent to which God took care of them when they were in the desert. Second, he gave them the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Laws so that they would know exactly how to live their lives. Finally, after 40 years of wandering in the desert, the promised land was in their sights. It was there, in their sights. But before they could enter into it, Moses, who was their leader, died. But before he died, he passed on the baton to Joshua. And now Joshua would be the one to lead the Jews in the promised land. Again, to make a long story short, they were finally home. They were finally in the promised land. And I think the verse that sums up Joshua's tenure as the leader of the Jews best is Judges chapter 2, verse 7. And it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. In a lot of ways, it doesn't get much better than this. It doesn't get much better than this. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua's life, and God blessed them. What a great story. And I wish was the, this was the end of the story, but it's not, because there's verse 10. Take a look at verse 10. And it says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. If things couldn't get any better than in verse 7, then things couldn't get any worse than in verse 10. Because when you get to verse 10, it says that the generation that followed Joshua's generation, Joshua's generation would have been the first generation in the promised land, and all of Joshua and his generation, their children, would have been the second generation. 
So when everyone in the first generation, that would have been Joshua and his contemporaries, when they all died, the second generation took over, and no one in that second generation knew the Lord. I mean, this has got to be one of the most tragic verses in the Bible. This was a failure of epic proportions. And here's what happened. Take a look at Judges chapter 2, verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. And they abandoned the Lord and served the Baals in Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. And whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Again, I think the verse in this passage that sums up the fate of the second generation, I think the, the verse that sums it up is verse 13. If you look at it again, it says, they abandoned the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. I mean, imagine that they turned in literally in a moment, they turned from serving the one true God. They turned from serving the one true God to idolatry. One generation, that was it. They did evil in the sight of the Lord, it says. They abandoned the Lord. They turned away from him and that provoked him to anger. And you know, when you read a story like this, you can't help but ask yourself, how did it get to this? How did this happen? How did these people who saw the works of God, who saw the very presence of God, they saw him lead them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They saw him part the Red Sea. They saw him provide manna for them in the wilderness. How, how do they go from following God to abandoning God completely? Totally. Well, there are two basic explanations for what happened. The first had to do with the influence of Canaanite culture. It was Canaanite culture. You see, the promised land was the promised land, but it was inhabited by a very corrupt people called the Canaanites. And it wasn't just the Canaanites that lived in the promised land. There were others as well. According to Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, and I'll just put it up here for you, and I highlighted that portion I wanted to look at. But the promised land was also occupied by the Amorites and the Perizzites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites, all of whom were just as corrupt as the Canaanites. And so when they entered the promised land, the Jews found themselves amongst a people who worshipped idols like Baal and Ashtoreth, and their culture, the culture of the Canaanites, was completely the opposite of the culture of the Jews. For example, this is Baal. He was the Canaanite god of the sun, and he was the god of the rain. And uh, if you wanted a fruitful harvest, you would pray to Baal. And by the way, this particular statue was discovered in an excavation in a place called Tel Megiddo, and uh, we had the opportunity to visit Tel Megiddo in 2019. And I believe the, the team that went last year also had a chance to, to stop by there. Tel Megiddo is also the place where the Battle of Armageddon is going to take place. But this was discovered there in an excavation. And by the way, I mean, if you are interested in going to Israel, we are thinking about taking another group there in uh, 2023, next year, November 
of next year. And if you're interested in going, then we're going to be having um, an interest meeting on December Sunday, December the 11th at 1 o'clock. Just come and find out more about it. You can find out what it's going to cost and how long I'm going to be there. And we would probably leave around November 6th and come back the 16th before, well before Thanksgiving. But uh, it, it, will, it will change your life. I promise you, it will change your life. So come find out more about that. But uh, if you, uh, and by the way, go to the website, go to our website and you can sign up. But so picture this, right? For 40 years, for 40 years, the Israelites wandered in the desert and, and God gave them manna to eat. They had plenty of food to eat. And they didn't have to work for food. They didn't have to beg for food. It was always provided. But now they were in the land, this land that was flowing with milk and honey. And there wasn't any need for God to give them manna. Now they had to farm the land. Now they had to till the land. Now they had to raise their own livestock. And in order to do that, my speculation, my guess is they probably looked around to see what the Canaanites were doing and what the Canaanite farmers were doing, the Canaanite shepherds were doing. You know what they did? They prayed to Baal. They prayed to Baal. So that's what the Jews decided to do. They decided to do what their neighbors did. That's what they did. The second god that the Canaanites prayed to was Ashtaroth. This is, that's, this is another um, statue that was excavated in Israel. This is a bronze statue of Ashtaroth. And she was the goddess of fertility and the goddess of sex. And if you wanted children, you would pray to her. You would go to her and pray to her. And uh, they did that because that's what the Canaanites did. You want babies? What did the Canaanites do? They prayed to Ashtaroth. And not only did the Canaanites pray to Ashtaroth, they took it a step further. They engaged in temple prostitution, even same-sex temple prostitution. In other words, they committed sex, sexual acts in their pagan temples. And uh, in other words, it was anything goes in the Canaanite culture. Do whatever you want to do, right? Because they didn't live by a moral code. Their moral code was do whatever you want to do. The, Jew, the Jews lived by a moral code. It was called the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Laws. They had a mosaic, they had a moral code. But then they go into the promised land and they see what everyone else is doing when they want to have babies. And they got so swept up by the culture that they began, they got rid of, they jettisoned God's moral code and began to pray to this God right here. There's one thing else, one more thing you, you, you need to know about the Canaanite culture, and that, and, and that is that they had a very low view of children. They had a very low, actually, that's an understatement. In Deuteronomy 12:31, the Lord alerted the, 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 the Jews to what the Canaanites were up to. They alerted them. Deuteronomy 12:31, take a look at it. It says, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way for every abominable thing that the Lord hates you have done for their gods for they even burned their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods see Canaanites murdered their own children they murdered them burned them alive as a sacrifice to their gods and what did the Jews do they went and did exactly what the Canaanites did they took their cues from culture. Jeremiah 7 and verse 30 says, For the sons of Judah, and I highlighted sons of Judah, that just points to the fact that these were Jews, that these were Israelites. For the sons of Judah had done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. 
And they have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. The valley of Hinnom is right there outside the old city of, of Jerusalem. You'll be able to see it on, that, on our trip. But the Jews did exactly what the Canaanites did. They had never done that before. But now their culture influenced them, became like their culture, and they murdered their own children in the fire. And God was outraged. He was outraged. For he had and has always had a very special place in his heart for kids, for children. Take a look at Ezekiel 16. It says, And you took your sons and your daughters whom you had borne to me, and, and these you sacrificed to them to be de devoured. Were your whoring so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? Notice that. Notice what he called your children. He says, no, 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 they're my children. The kids you give birth to, the kids you bring into the world, they're mine. They're my possession. They're my children. You see, God looks at every single baby and every single child as his own. That's why it's never okay to take the life of an even, a, even an unborn baby because ultimately that baby belongs to God. And this was the kind of culture the Jews found themselves living in. And it's, like, it's not like they didn't know. It's not like they didn't know what they were getting into. They knew exactly what they were getting into because Joshua warned them. He says, I want you to know what's going to go on here. Joshua 23, verse 12 says, For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they will be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. He told them that if they associated themselves with this culture, it would be a snare and a trap to them until they perished off the face of the earth. And that's exactly what happened. The Canaanite culture was a snare and a trap to the Jews. And it destroyed them. You know, Judges 2.10 says that there arose a nation from Joshua. There arose another from Joshua that didn't know the Lord. And there arose another generation after them. And another after them. And another after them. And this went on and on and on, all the way to the end of the book of Judges. And you read the last verse in the book of Judges and said, they did right in, the, they did right in, the, in, in their own eyes. They did whatever they wanted to do. This went on for more than 400 years. Generation after generation after generation, they didn't know the Lord. Now, I wanted to share this story with you as a setup for what I wanted to talk about today. First, this story shows us that nothing has changed in all these thousands of years. Nothing has changed. Here we are more than 3,000 years later, and the devil is still at it, still trying to take God's people down. Earlier this summer, and here's the, here's the tough stuff. Earlier this summer, I had the opportunity to have lunch with Dr. Michael Barker, who is the the, the founder of Ambassador High School here in Torrance. Ambassador has become the leading uh, Christian college prep high school in the South Bay. When I asked Dr. Barker 
what his school's greatest challenge was. I, I thought he was going to say, well, we, we always can use more money. We, we are always having financial challenges. Or I thought he was going to say, well, it has to do with opening up, you know, after COVID and all. But you know what he said instead? What is the greatest challenge, Dr. Barker? You know what he said? He said, quote, our kids are under attack, unquote. That was his answer. And I asked him if I could share it with you this weekend. He says, absolutely. Let your church know. Our kids are under attack. And I knew immediately what he was talking about when he told me that. He wasn't referring to an attack from the Russians or an attack from, from ISIS. He was speaking about the devil's war on our kids. He was speaking about the attack that they're experiencing from the devil. And the number that Satan is doing on young people, and I don't mean just young people, but, but our youth and even our young adults. He has set his sights on destroying the next generation, and he's using every tool in his arsenal to do it. Here's what, in a, in a follow-up email, here's what Dr. Barker said, and he gave me permission to share this with you as well. He said, quote, cell phones, social media posts, and the developmental nature of students basing their self-worth on how others view them is a psychological attack on kids. Seeing other people on social media having a great time and being so happy is difficult for students to manage, unquote. And then when you throw into that the equation, and throw into that equation the bullying, the cyberbullying, the texting, the scams, the predators, all of that going online, Dr. Barker said it has led to, to record levels, he said, record levels of fear and anxiety among teens. He said our kids are under attack. He said he sees it every single day. In other words, the devil is using technology and the online world to war against our kids. Consider for a moment just the nature of online pornography um, and, the, and the effect that it has on children. Did you know, and I'm going to put these up before you, did you know that the average age of a child who views porn is 11 years old for the first time? The average age for a child to view porn is 11 years old. Imagine that. You probably know an 11-year-old. 90% of kids between the ages of 8 and 16 have watched online porn at least once. 90% of 8-year-olds and 10-year-olds? 40% of boys in grades 4 through 11 have admitted searching for porn. 70% of boys have spent more than 30 minutes searching for porn online. 79% of 18 to 30-year-old American men have watched porn at least once a month. At le they watch at least once a month. 76% of 18 to 30-year-old American women report that they watch at least once a month. And the impact of pornography, online pornography on our kids, even on adults, is devastating. I mean, think of the confusion when you're an 11-year-old or even a 15-year-old, even a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, when you see that kind of junk. It's incalculable the impact that it has. And all of these stresses and all the anxieties that, that all this online content creates for young people today has led to record numbers of young people contemplating suicide. Just this week, the American Academy of Pediatrics released a study that found that the number of ER visits by children for having suicidal thoughts increased by 59% between the years 2016 and the years 2019. Increased by almost 60%, the number of parents who have to take their kids to ER because they're thinking about taking their own lives. 
Dr. Audrey Brewer, who's an attending physician in advanced general pediatrics at the Children's Hospital in Chicago, said this, and I'll quote her for you. She said, quote, I mean, we saw this huge increase in emergency department visits for kids of all ages, honestly, in 2019, and that's even before the pandemic. And it's very concerning. She said, we saw five-year-olds. Five-year-olds. How does a five-year-old even think that they don't want to live anymore? You see, Satan is holding nothing back. He's holding nothing back when it comes to our kids. He hates kids. He hates babies. He hates teenagers. UNICEF said recently that the attacks on children continue unabated all throughout, throughout the world. UNICEF, not a Christian organization. UNICEF said that millions of children are being, quote, enslaved, trafficked, abused, and exploited, unquote. They call it the moral crisis of this age. The moral crisis of this age is that our kids are under attack. There's a neighborhood in Cambodia that is considered a global hotspot for the child sex trade. It is believed that 100% of the children who live in this poverty-stricken shanty town have been sold into sex slavery, most often by their parents. 100%. And pedophiles all over the world know about it, that's where they go for vacation. From the U.S., from all these Western countries, everywhere, that's where they go for vacation. And, it, and the stories are all similar. Family comes upon hard times. Father gets sick. He gets injured. They have six mouths to feed. They live on only $2 a day. So in order to make ends meet, mom or dad sells one of their girls, maybe as young as four or five to some pedophile. One mother who sold her 12-year-old daughter told a reporter, she said, quote, I know that I did wrong, so I feel regret. What can I do? Everyone in the community does it. They think it's normal, unquote. In other words, it's just part of the culture. That's what we do here. And, you know, it's as plain as day, right? Our kids are under attack. And of course, I don't have to tell you about what's going on with abortion. We've talked about that here before. But, but since Roe v. Wade, 63.5 million unborn babies have been murdered in our country, in our country alone. Two weeks ago, 66% of Californians voted to enshrine the right to have an abortion in our state constitution. 60, that's two-thirds of the voters said yes to abortion. And there are politicians across our country who are pushing for abortions to be made available up to term, which means that you can abort your baby at nine months. And the mastermind behind it all, the one pulling the strings, is none other than the devil. That's, that's who's doing this. And um, if you've been keeping up with the news, you will know that fentanyl is pouring into our country across the border killing young people at an alarming rate. In August, the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, warned that drug dealers are now flooding the U.S. with brightly colored fentanyl targeting young people. It's been dubbed rainbow fentanyl. This is a screenshot of their, of their um, website. And it's made to look like candy. 
The DEA administrator said that rainbow fentanyl comes in a variety of bright colors, shapes, and sizes and is, quote, a deliberate effort by drug traffickers to drive addiction amongst kids and young adults, unquote. It is deliberate. It is intentional to take down your kids. That's what's going on. And then I want you to take a look at this interview. It took place at Cal Berkeley not too long ago. What's up, guys? This is Will Witt with PragerU. Today we're at UC Berkeley, and we are asking students, how many genders are there? Let's do it. How many genders are there? Infinite. Infinite? I think there are infinite genders. Why Why do you say that? Because I think, I don't know, you can't put things in boundaries. You can define yourself as whatever you want. And I don't have a number for it, so it's infinite for me. What do you identify as? I identify as female. I identify as male. How many genders are there? Um, God, I don't know. Like, I identify as a guy, but if someone's going to be happier not following that binary thing, do you. How many genders are there? There's a spectrum of genders you can't really say. Like an unlimited amount, you would say? There are like five, six, maybe. Six? What are those six? Um... It's like male, female, transgender, asexual, uh, then, yeah, I'm not like familiar with the names, but I'm like pretty sure I've seen like videos and everything on like different genders like here. So for me, gender is like a construct because gender is something that's that's made up. Um, so sex is something that's biologically given to us. So I don't really know, to be honest. What do you identify with? A uh, male. Me too. How many genders are there? Oh, girl. It's like 72 plus or something. I could not tell you. You couldn't tell me? I could not tell you. There's How many can you name? Not all 72. Spitfire a few. Um, there's, what is it? Third gender, cisgender, agender, uh, cis woman, cis man, uh, uh, non-binary slash other? I don't know. I, yeah, no, that's sexuality. That's not gender. Don't be intolerant. Uh. That interview went on for a few more minutes. I watched the whole thing. And not one person said two. Not one person. There are two genders, male and female. That's how God made us. He made them male and female. That's what the Bible says. And the reason why Fewer and fewer college students don't believe that there are only two genders is because they are being taught from, early, from as early as kindergarten that there are many genders. That's what our culture teaches us today. One of the books that's made its way into many of the schools around the country is this one right here. It's, called, it's titled, They, She, He, Me, Free to Be Me. It's about gender fluidity. And this is just one example of many that are making its way into schools and encourages children to try out different pronouns. Finally, and I'm put this to rest here. Not too long ago, the Vermont, Vermont, the state of Vermont became the first state in the union to require, to mandate that middle schools and high schools provide access to free condoms distributed in the schools by Planned Parenthood. Not to be outdone, Chicago School District came up with a program to give away free condoms to elementary school age kids, ten and up. That's Chicago. 
And in case you get pregnant, if you go to New York City, New York City schools will disperse free abortion pills to high school students. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what's going on. The devil has declared war on our kids. And this is not political. I want you to know this is not political. It is spiritual. There's something so much more going on. It is spiritual. Because the goal of this war against our kids is to take our kids down and to keep them from following the Lord. That's the goal. That's the aim, to keep this generation from knowing the Lord. And just as the devil used the Canaanite culture to take down the Jews, he is using our culture to take down our kids and our grandkids, the next generation. And I really like the way John MacArthur put it. He said that culture has been weaponized to destroy our children. And he's right. It has been weaponized to destroy our children. So the first reason, the first reason why the generation that arose after Joshua didn't know the Lord was because of the influence of culture. Second reason why they didn't know the Lord was because Joshua's generation failed to do their job. They failed to do their job. Before Moses, um, before Moses passed on the baton to Joshua to lead the people in the promised land, he gave Joshua's generation some very important instructions. Here's what he said to them, Deuteronomy 4, in verse 4 and 5. But you who held fast to the Lord your God all are alive today, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them. So as you, in other words, as you go into the land, as you go in the promised land, don't forget what I taught you. Hold on to God. Hold on to his word. Right? Hold on to it. And then he said this in verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Make what known? Make known to them, your children and your children's children, what God did, what you saw with your very own eyes like how he performed miracles in Egypt, like how he parted the Red Sea, like how he manifested himself as a pillar in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, like, he, how, like how he provided food for you in the desert, how like your clothes never wore out, and so much more. Tell your kids about that and your grandkids about that so that they will never forget. And so Moses instructed them to go, out, go about and do all that, and you know what? They didn't. They didn't. Here's Judges 2.10 again. And all that generation were gathered together to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They blew it. And the implication of this passage is that the second generation didn't know the Lord because the first generation failed to do their job. The first generation didn't tell the second generation about the Lord and about all that he had done. And, the, and the, the lesson from this passage is pretty simple, right? We got to do our jobs. Parents, you got to do your jobs. It's up to you, parents, to lead your children into a knowledge of the Lord. You can't leave it up to somebody else. Parents, if you don't tell your kids about Jesus, who will? Well, I'll tell you who will. Well, let me, I'll tell you who won't. Culture won't. The government won't. Their schools won't. Social media won't. And if your kids don't know the Lord, 
they'll be lost forever. That's what's going to happen. They'll be lost forever. And that's not okay. That's why I feel so strongly about this today. That's why it's so been on my heart for months to tell you about this. That we've got to do everything we can to help the next generation. And I believe that just as our culture has lied, and de- lied to and deceived kids, it has lied to and deceived parents and adults into believing that if you want your kid to be successful, if you want your kid to be happy, what matters more than anything else is they got to get a good education and they got to go to a good school and they got to be well-rounded and they got to play sports and they got to play an instrument and they got to be involved in all these extracurricular activities. Those are the priorities according to our culture. Not faith, not church, not youth group, not God, not reading your Bible. Those are the priorities. Now, is education important? Absolutely. Is getting good grades important? Absolutely. Is playing sports important? Absolutely. My daughters played sports. At least one of them did. But none of it is more important than making sure that your kids are going to go to heaven. Nothing is more important than that. And thus, helping your kids to find and follow Jesus ought to be job one. Our highest priority, your highest priority as a parent begins with you. And if you want your kids to walk with God, then you've got to walk with God. And if you want your kids to know about God, you've got to teach them about God. You've got to read the Bible to them. You've got to teach them what the scriptures say. You've got to teach them what the truth is. Because no one believes that there's truth anymore. If you want your kids to walk with God, then you've got to worship God. And you've got to get your kids to worship God. And don't just take them to church and drop them off. And I know you don't because you're here. Right? But you've got to get them to worship with you. And if you want your kids to walk with God, then you've got to serve God. And get your kids to serve with you. And you've got to model all of these things for them so that they see it in your life. Last year, um, Cindy Nakasuji and Cindy and Darren Nakasuji um, put a little craft sale together in front of their house, just, a little, just right in front of their house. And they decided to make some crafts. And they decided to sell it to their neighbors. And they said that whatever proceeds we make, whatever we make, we're going we're gonna to give it to the, uh, the Afghan resettlement ministry uh, here at church to help our two Afghan families. And they did that. And they thought, we're going to do it again. So we received an email from them on Friday, just a couple days ago, saying, hey, just, we just want you to know that this, this coming Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, we're going to have another little craft uh, fair in front of our house. It's just a tiny little thing. It's a couple tables. And, and, and what Micah's doing, Micah's your fifth grader. He's, he's ice dyeing t-shirts and sweatshirts. I don't know what ice dyeing is, but it sounds cool. And she said, McKenna, uh, who is their second grader, is making ornaments and painting pots, and all of which they're going to sell at their little craft fair. And she says, and we want all the proceeds, every single penny, to go to, to Pastor Igor's seminary. Isn't that cool? And, and, and when you, when you get your kids serving with you like that, then they begin to see that it's not about them, right? It's about the Lord, and it's about helping others. It's about serving others. And so if you want your kids to know the Lord, it begins with you. In fact, today, you know, we're going to have that Glow Gift um, station. Go by there and pick a project that you can do with your kids. Just serve the Lord with your kids. Hey, join the Servant Hearts Ministry just to clean the church and bring your kids with you to help vacuum the floors or clean the bathrooms. Here's some final thoughts because I'm done. 
I know that some of the things you heard today were really hard to hear. Well, I'm telling you, it was really hard to, to share this with you. But I, but I believe in my heart I need to say these things because there is a real war going on with our kids. And the stakes couldn't be higher. And I hate to say this. I hate to admit this. But the devil is winning. The devil is winning because with each passing generation, here's what we're seeing. With each pa- I've been here for 30 years. With each passing generation, there are fewer and fewer Christ followers. That's what we're seeing. There are fewer and fewer kids who follow the Lord. There are fewer and fewer teenagers who are following the Lord. And if we don't do something about it, one day there will be a generation that comes after us and nobody in that generation will know the Lord. It'll be a repeat of Judges chapter 2. And we can't let that happen. We can't let that happen. And the way we stop the madness is not by becoming political activists, right? The way we stop the madness, because our battle isn't, flesh and, isn't against flesh and blood, but the way we stop the madness is by getting on our knees and by praying for our kids. We got to pray. And that's something everyone can do, whether you have kids or not. Everyone can do that, right? And so in January, we're going to kick off a new series, a six-week series on prayer I'm calling it 40 Days of Prayer. And we want to mobilize our church to pray like we've never prayed before. Not just for our kids, but for all the needs that you have. There's so many needs right now. These are such difficult times we're living in. And I want us to get together, and we need us to pray and pray and pray. And I believe God will do some miracles because of, of that. Second, we, we can all help the next generation by serving them. And and again, I said, you don't even need to have kids to do that. For for example, consider serving in kids' crew, our kids' crew ministry. We still don't have a kids' crew program for our Saturday evening service because Mandy said we don't have enough volunteers. I asked you this week, how many volunteers do you need? We need to have kids' crew for Saturday night because for those families, kids that have sports things on Sunday, which is okay, as long as you come to church on Saturday night, but the problem is we don't have kids' crew for Saturday night. So they don't come on Saturday night and they don't go on Sunday because of sports and so they don't go at all. She said, we, we need 60 volunteers to staff kids crew on a Saturday night. I said, 60? You need 60 people in there? No, no, no. We don't put 60 people in there every Saturday night. She says, we want to spread them out over the month so that everybody, all you need to do is volunteer once a month. All we need is you to help out once a month, not four Sundays or four Saturdays out of the month. But we can't, we just can't muster. And I, I get it, it's been hard. People are still concerned with COVID. But we've been, we've been pretty good here, right? But man, and, and she said, man, we, we're looking for young, youthful volunteers. I said, I'll volunteer. She said, you're too old. I said, okay. I said, okay, well, you can't say that I didn't offer, right? Because they, the kids just relate to those who are younger than, than older. But you know, we, you can help out there. Serve once a month. Or, and you can make such a huge impact. Huge impact. Hey, serve with your small group. Get a bunch of friends. Hey, let's do it together. And if you're interested, email Mandy. Mandy at southbaycommunitychurch.com. Just let her know. Or stop by Kids Crew today and see if you can talk to her. And if that's not your cup of tea, consider serving in our middle school ministry or our high school ministry. Todd, who's our youth director, said he needs more help. I mean, the ministries are growing. He needs more help because he needs for our advisors to spend one-on-one time with the kids. 
right? It's not good just to have 40, 50 kids come and you know, there's so many kids and you get, don't get a chance to talk to everybody. So he needs more help. If you love, if you are energetic, you need to be energetic. Uh, again, to, to be involved in that ministry, uh, let him know. I told him I'd want to be a youth pastor. He said, you're too old. I said, okay, can I do anything around here? That's why they call me the senior pastor, because I'm old, right? And if that's not your cup of tea, consider helping on the college ministry. You know, they say that 89% of all those Christian students who graduate from high school, once they graduate and they go off to college, 89% of them never come back. Did you know that? 89% never come back to church because that culture just sweeps them up and they fall away from the Lord. Man, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta save our college students. And colleges are all going woke. Kids are all falling away and that's not okay. We gotta step up our game, right? So these are just a few things we can do. Um, we're excited, the interest that you've shown in fostering and adopting. I know that's not for everyone, but I guess the question I have for you is, what would God have you do? And I, I hope that whether you, are, whether you are a parent or not, you know, you might have a little brother, a little sister. You might have a cousin. You know, tell them about Jesus. And all of us, all of you, be on guard for your own soul. Be on guard because of what the enemy's up to. If he can take parents down, then he doesn't have to worry about the kids because that'll just, that'll happen naturally. So be on guard for your own soul. Care for your soul. Nurture your soul, most important thing you can do. So what would God have you do? Church, let's rally around our young people. Let's pray for them, love them, and serve them so that they will know Jesus in the next generation, in the generation after that, and in the generation after that. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Oh, Father, this is so hard to hear. So heartbreaking to see what's going on with our kids. And in many ways, the church and our parents is really the only hope that this world has in the sense that if we don't do our part, if we fail to do our job, then indeed the next generation will be lost. So Lord, I pray that you would take what we've all heard today and you would use it to prick our hearts and to move us to action as parents, as uncles, as aunties, as brothers, as sisters, as friends, that we would be moved to action to do everything we can to make sure that our kids, the next generation, will know and follow you. Father, do a work in our church as we look for more ways to reach kids, as we look for more ways to reach youth, more ways to reach college students and even those who are young adults. God, because the, the stakes couldn't be any higher. Father, thank you for this great church. Father, mobilize us. Lord, help us not to take any of this lying down, but help us to rise up to fight the good fight 
of faith. Fight for our kids. And Lord, I know that the pushback will be fierce. We'll be called names. But Lord, help us in, in the most loving way possible to again nudge our kids toward you. So Lord, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we do this because we know we have seen your works. We know who you are. There is no one like you. Lord, that's why we do these things. That's why we're committed to our next generation. So thank you, Father. Help us. We need your help. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.